Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. are back on the believe in the jets podcast i'm your host andrew golden of jetsxfactor.com and of course i got former jet running back well not jordan my co-host here with me the jets are facing a pretty big game all of a sudden two weeks to go left in the season they had a pretty merry christmas from the football gods had a lot of things fall their way the dolphins lost to the packers the patriots lost to the Bengals. things seem to even up for the jets to where they're in a scenario now if they can win out their next two games to close out the season and the Patriots lose at least one of their next two to Miami or Buffalo, the Jets are going to be in the playoffs, and they're going to end the longest playoff drought in NFL history as it currently stands. What a crazy, crazy situation that would be after benching a quarterback, multiple injuries to key players on the offensive line and at skill position. To find a way through and get to the postseason would be pretty amazing. But before we can get into any of that, they got a huge game on the road in Seattle this weekend, taking on the Seahawks. We're going to get right into it, but before we start, as always, got to thank our friends over at betonline.ag our sponsor bet online is your number one source for all your sports betting this season whether it's nfl bowl season kicking off going on right now college football playoff about to start in just a few days very excited for that bet online is going to be the place to go for all the latest odds team matchup info player news whatever else you need they have live betting free contests live scores for any sport you could possibly need it's the fastest and easiest way to bet for all your favorite leagues and events once you head on over Join for the first time, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Lamont, let's start with this game as we usually do as a running back yourself and, a, and more of an offensive person myself with the offense. That seems to be the biggest news and biggest news for the Jets. Mike White has been cleared to play. They are going to have their seemingly best starting quarterback of the season in Mike White ready for this game. And according to head coach Robert Sala, he is to remain the starter the rest of the year as long as he is healthy for however long that year ends up being, whether it's these next two games or beyond. So I'm really curious to hear your opinion. I want to let you go ahead and start here. What's your first point offensively for this game? Where can the Jets start to make things a different outcome from their last few contests that have been pretty uh, sluggish on that side of the ball? No, Drew, I don't know where to start offense because I don't know what our offense is doing. Um, let, let me correct myself on that. I know what they're doing. And what they're doing is getting in the red zone and coming away with with no touchdowns. As far as their identity, I have no idea. You know, I have no idea who we are. And so for me, first and foremost, you know, listen, it comes down to this. We're playing against a 29th ranked team when it comes to how many points they give up per game, they give up 25.3 points a game. Both teams right now are playing for their playoff lives. At the end of the day, what it comes down to in this game, the team that loses, your playoff hopes are done. You might as well go ahead and just just start making plans. Your playoff hopes are done. So for me, my first point is just, I mean, I know it's kind of obvious. We have to score points. That's just what it comes down to. And and if you've listened to the show, those who follow our show, if, if you listen to us last year and you listen to us at the beginning of the season, you hear a totally different tone from us right now because we had high hopes for this offense. And so when we're hard on, on, on the floor and we're hard on this offense, we're not talking as guys who are just jumping on the Jets offense. Now, we had high hopes for this offense. 
I mean, right now, yards per game were 21st. Uh, passing yards were 14th. Rushing yards per game were 24th. Points per game were 25th. Like, I mean, if our offense showed up, I truly believe we would be fighting for home field advantage in the AFC right now. All we needed was for our offense to show up in a lot of these games. So for me in this game, it's 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 score points. And as we get into the show, we'll get into more detail about that. But for me, I, we, we got to score points. Yeah, no, I agree. The offense has to be better than their recent outings. He scored three points against Jacksonville, and the only reason he got those three points was because Quinnen Williams got you a sack fumble on the first drive of the game and put you in plus territory. You didn't go anywhere with the ball. You you kicked it from where you recovered the fumble, essentially. You had three opportunities to get any sort of positive yardage in the red zone and plus territory after a turnover. You get a sack on second down, you're kicking the field goal on fourth. That's not good enough. When that's your only offense all day, that's not good enough there is going to need to be some improvement. The positive here is that this is, as you alluded to, Lamont, statistically not a good defense. And it hasn't been a good defense for most of the year. So you're hoping that that can be more of an advantageous matchup. On top of that, Mike White is finally back at quarterback. And I think for these last couple of games, when you've had Zach Wilson and even Chris Drebler to an extent, you have defenses that are completely selling out and stop the run game. They're not worried about the passing attack whatsoever. You have probably the offensive rookie of the year at wide receiver in Garrett Wilson, and no one's been scared of the Jets passing attack for the last two weeks. That's an issue. Going into this game, Mike White being under center, hopefully should provide them with an offense that can stay more efficient, that can be more threatening of a passing offense, back up these defenses from crowding the box. And the point I want to start off with I think this is where the game is won and lost, quite honestly, for the Jets. And this is why I think it's important to start here. The Jets are going to have to be able to run the football to win this game because they cannot keep shooting themselves in the foot by getting into third and long situations, by having negative plays or runs for one to two yards at most on first down, setting them behind the chains and making things that much harder for this offense. As we've talked about for multiple weeks a lot, this offensive line cannot pass protect right now. They cannot be trusted to be left alone in protection all game. You cannot expect to be calling routes on third and eight, third and nine that are going to take a while to develop down the field if you're trying to throw past the sticks and expect this offensive line to block up front all day. It's not going to be a good situation. Mike White's coming off a rib injury. You know, this is not a situation where you can afford to get your quarterback hit. So you have to find a way to establish the run set up play action, run the under center game that we've seen Mike White be really effective running when the run game is there to match. And the point I want to make that I think this can be the week the Jets find a spark in their run game after being so stagnant for the last couple of contests, the Seahawks run defense is awful. It's outright awful. They're averaging 155 yards allowed per game this season on the ground to opposing teams. They haven't Mm -hmm. last week against Kansas city. They allowed 77 yards rushing. The chiefs were in control of the game for most of the day. Patrick Mahomes had a good, not amazing blow the doors off statistical game, but the chiefs won that game handily. That was the first week Lamont since week eight that the Seahawks defense allowed a team to rush for less than 120 yards in a game. The last time they allowed fewer than 120 rushing yards in a game was against the Cardinals in week eight. It has been that long for them. And the Chiefs didn't need to rush for 120. They were still able to have an efficient offense. If you are the Jets, this has to be an area that you exploit. 
You have to be able to win on first down in the run game, get positive yards, get ahead of the chains, set up play action, back off these defenses. And hopefully if you're Mike White, you can do that enough early to open up the run game on top of that to where you're not going to have teams loading the box. And if they have to worry about the run game, then they can't just play back off and they can't just say, okay, Mike White throw against drop eight every play. You have to be able to establish the run. The first down ineptitude, if that's a word, or just absolute failure on these recent games by the Jets offense has been completely killing any momentum they possibly have. And as bad as the offense has been in a lot of phases, it's been their issues on early downs that has really gotten them in the most trouble. It's got to change this week. You've got to be able to run the ball. I agree with you. I agree with you. The problem is, it's just that we, we just... You know, our run game looked good against Chicago. I was just sitting here looking at the stats. We had a good game. Um, when you, when you, if you look at the teams that we've played, um, you know, you look at the the Bears. They're one of the worst teams in the National Football League at stopping the run. In that game, we had 32 carries for 158 yards. And it goes back to what you're talking about as far as making sure that we're not putting ourselves behind the chains early on. With that said, <clears throat> comes out to a mindset. I mean, Seattle is going to play this team different than the way they played Kansas City. If I'm Seattle, I'm coming into this game, and I'm not overly concerned with the Jets' offense because we just had to prepare and we had to defend Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that um, from a weapon standpoint, you know, you take Kelsey out. You know, I, I think Kansas City and our wide receivers are pretty, I mean, you know, they're pretty even in my opinion. Well, if you look at the skill players, both us in Kansas City, we have skill players. They just have the far superior play caller and they have the far superior quarterback. Yep. Um, with that said, yeah, we need to run the ball against this team, but I don't think we're going to be able to run the ball if we don't show an ability to pass. I think Seattle's yes. going to walk people up in this box knowing that the best chance that we have is to to run the ball against them. I just don't see us doing it. I think that we're going to see eight, nine men in the box, some type of single high safety, and they're going to bring some type of pressure on us. And they're going to try to like, we're not going to beat Seattle doing the college stuff. Like I just watched the Seattle versus Kansas city game. Like there's nobody who does it better than Kansas city. And if we think that we're going to go into Seattle and do that, then we're sadly mistaken. Um, So for me, my point would be, you know, as far as scoring points is listen, we, we have to pass protect. And I think, and and I I've been a firm believer of this as a play caller. All right, my whole time coaching as a head coach and as an OC, it doesn't matter what what level I'm on. At the end of the day, you you have to put a game plan together. All right, I didn't always have the best offensive line. Like I'm not a coach that's been out here coaching, and every team that I've coached, we had just the best players. No, most of the time when I was coaching, we didn't have all of the good players. All right. Most of the time, my offensive line, they they could not handle the defensive line. I'm talking about playing against bonafide D1 athletes where I got kids who may not play football after high school. All right. But we were still able to throw the ball. That's where you come in as a play caller that if your offensive line is struggling, then it's your job to come up with a game plan that's going to help them out. Whether it's chipping the backs, whether it's free releasing the backs, no matter what it is. But what you're not going to do is you're not going to help your offensive line if everything that you call is 15 or 20 yards down the field. If the things that if your intermediate routes are the same intermediate routes that you run every week, 
you know, you're not going to move the ball and score points if your wide receivers aren't running full speed routes. And so I don't think that we're going to be able to run the ball without throwing. I think that we have to throw in order to set up our run, because when we turn on this game, I, I, I firmly believe that we're going to see Seattle bring people up close to the box. If we if we bring it tight, I think it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster if we bring things tight. I think our best shot is to spread them out. Let's have our weapons out there on the field. Let's dink and dunk if we have to, not with the jet sweeps and all that kind of stuff. But, hey, if you got a man running a, a, a deep route over here, you can – you could. there's so many different route combinations that you can run. And that's the disappointing thing about me, why I'm so hard on the floor, is that you gave his resume the people that he's learned from. There are a plethora of route combinations that you can run, and we have the weapons to do it. We have running backs in the backfield that if you get them in space and you call the right combination, you're going to have Bam in the flats by himself with a linebacker who cannot check him. Then the next thing, once you start beating their linebackers, teams become very predictable. They'll show you cover two, but then they're going to drop this safety down to the side that you show a tendency that you're going to free release your back or you're going to check release your back. We have to be able to take advantage of those things. It's too many times that we're doing this college crap. We're not going to beat this team. We're not going to score points doing the college crap. So for me, we have to protect our quarterback and we have to let our pass set up our run. No, I couldn't agree more. No, I absolutely couldn't agree more. I fully believe that if the Jets can't run the ball on early downs eventually in the game, it's going to be really hard for them to win. But they do have to set that up by backing defenses off with a threat of the passing game that hasn't been there for these last few weeks. You were starting to talk about it, Lamont. It was the next point that I had for the offense, completely honestly. This Seahawks defense, the way it's constructed, in a way kind of similar to the Jets defense, the Jets have just gotten lucky by not being exploited by it in the same way. The strength is the secondary. They live through their back end more than anything else. Tariq Woolen's been arguably the best, second best rookie corner in the league behind Sauce Gardner on the Jets themselves. You have Quandre Diggs at safety, who's an excellent safety, who's been an excellent safety for years on end. You have, um, I believe it's Michael Dixon is his name, the other corner who's had a solid year. This is not, a, you know, an unreasonable secondary. And Pete Carroll, for all that it's worth, if there is one thing the guy can do in his life that's been proven time and time and time and time again, it is coach defensive backs. So this is a talented back end. And this is something that you got to worry about when you are looking at this defense. That said, when it comes to the passing offense in the middle of the field, the Seahawks linebackers are some of the worst in the league. Jordan Brooks in particular, I think, is leading the league in yards allowed at middle linebacker right now. His passer rating, both of their starting inside linebackers passer rating when targeted is over 110. The Seahawks defense is awful at defending tight ends and running backs in the passing game. So if this is a matchup, like you were talking about, Lamont, where you try and feed everything 15, 20 yards downfield, we're going to force feed Garrett Wilson. We're going to try and make him be the star. Everything's going to be the deep dig routes like we saw against Chicago. It's going to be tough to survive. It's going to be tough to live in that world. You have to attack the middle of the field, and you have to exploit the weakest link on this defense, which is the linebacking core. So I go back to Mike White's first start as a Jet against the Cincinnati Bengals last year on Halloween. 405 yards passing, game gets him his jersey in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he did it mostly with checkdowns. 
He did it mostly with throws to running backs. He did it mostly by taking what the defense was giving him, getting the ball out quick, not looking for too much downfield, giving his guys opportunity to run in space. And it worked. It worked really well. You can run a similar game plan this week, and I think you can have a functioning offense. I think if you have these linebackers for the Seahawks chasing people in space, you have them, if it's the tight end screen to Conklin, or if it's the little flare out to Bam in the backfield, or he's the check down on the progression and Mike White's a good enough quarterback to get to the check down fast enough, get the ball out, is able to make a play, there's going to be yards to be had. You're gonna, you can't be the type of team, and this is one thing that we've criticized LaFleur for in particular, that just seems to do what they do, regardless of who they're playing and regardless of the matchups that they have at hand. This cannot be the week that you just do what you do and expect to get away with it. Because you're right. I don't think this offensive line can block well enough side to side to be doing all the college motions and trying to have a bunch of runs to the edge. For what it's worth, the Seahawks defense has been really bad at defending wide receiver runs this year. But I don't think that's the staple of your offense. I think, mm-hmm. quite honestly, the to my end point offensively, because I really don't think it's too complicated here. I think the Seahawks are going to do everything they can to take away Garrett Wilson. They run cover six, and I believe it's the second highest rate in the NFL. And when they run cover six, what they normally do is they have, for people who don't understand cover six coverage, it's a quarter, quarter and a half field coverage where you have one safety who's covering half the field as if it was almost a cover two defense. And on the other side, you have the other safety and the cornerback who are running quarters like it was a quarter coverage, one to the outside, one to the middle of the field. You usually have the other corner underneath the half field safety who's kind of running a buzz like a cover two. It's basically cover two and cover three mixed together, one on each side. Slightly different, but that's how it ends up working out. The Seahawks tend to shift their coverage to that half field safety side on number one wide receivers. So you're going to have a corner likely going to be Tariq Woolen, who's going to be squatting on things underneath, and he's going to have the safety help over top from the deep half. When Garrett Wilson gets isolated to the outside, that's likely what they're going to see. So you're going to have the other corner on the other side who's playing a deep quarter who's going to be getting deep. You're going to have space underneath for running backs underneath him. You're going to have one-on-ones with those linebackers in the flat with whoever you end up throwing to, whether it's a running back or a tight end. If you get Garrett Wilson isolated and he has to be your decoy for this game, for some of it, so be it. Force feeding the downfield passing attack, I think is how you lose this game. You, your offensive line can't protect long enough. You aren't going to be getting open if they're going to be shifting and bracketing coverage and putting a safety over top of Garrett Wilson. That's going to make things hard for him. I think he's plenty talented enough to win anyway. But you shouldn't always have to take the path of most resistance. And if you're the Jets offense, you can be the more physical team. You can win by checking things down, getting the easy yards, backing this defense off, making sure that they can't just isolate Garrett Wilson all game and expect everybody else to survive as a result. And once you get them backing off, that's when you hope that your run game can come alive and you can take advantage of this poor run defense. You will lose this game if you are not the more physical team. Robert Sala is a Pete Carroll disciple. Pete Carroll knows this better than anybody else. He is going to be coaching his team. We can overmatch that offensive line. They don't know what they're coming into. This is the 12th man. We're at home. Who do they think they are coming in here and trying to see that they're going to be the tougher team? I taught this guy everything he knows. That's going to be the attitude. And Mm -hmm. I go back to when Robert Sala was a defensive coordinator in San Francisco. And when the period of time 
for those couple of years before the Seahawks started to fall off. When the Seahawks and 49ers matchups were bloodbaths. Yeah. Absolute bloodbaths. This is going to be the same sort of deal. And so if you are not the more physical team, if you cannot win in the passing game to back this team off and then supplant it with the run game, take advantage of this week Seattle front, your offense is going to die. And and what we're worried about right now, Mike White being back is huge. It really, really is. It's not to be understated the impact that he makes for this team, but he cannot do this alone. And it absolutely cannot be done without some better play calling from Michael Floor as well. I agree with you. I, I listen. I agree with you. This is going. I, I think that they'll start out. Um, I think they'll start out having two on on Garrett. It's my belief the way that you get them out of that is you have to get the ball. You you got to throw the ball to your running backs. I mean, yeah. it, it's just that simple. You These have to linebackers be a, are awful in coverage. You have yeah, they to are, exploit that. They are they're awful in coverage, but the way that you the way that you kind of counter that is if you know that your guys are awful in coverage, then you just bring them blitzes. Make them blitz. Make you know, bring pressure. Um, by doing that, it's like, you know, now we don't have to worry about that. Secondly, if you're bringing pressure, now you're forcing the quarterback to get the ball out a lot faster than he wants to get the ball out of his hands. And so these are all things that 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 come into play, which comes back to your first point, being able to run the ball. I just, you know, you talk about being the more physical team. There's nothing about our offense that says physical. There's nothing. I've watched, I, I, I watched Seattle's offense, and when we get to talking about what our defense has to do, they have a physical running game. They have a physical running back. They have a physical wide receiver. Yes. Like on every level that you look at them from an offensive standpoint, you could point to a guy and say that that is a physical guy. There's nothing about our offense that says it's physical. We are an offense that's built on finesse. Now, the thing about Mike White coming back is now those precision throws, you know, those plays where LaFleur calls drive, he, you know, he schemes up a good play. Now we have a quarterback that can see the field clearly, that can get the ball out on time. Um, and so from an offensive standpoint, it's, 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 it's what I said at the beginning of the show. I really think that we would be fighting for home field advantage if we had an offense that just showed up. And, and I think that this game is it's going to be the same way. We have to show up. You said it yourself and, and you said it perfectly because I was thinking the same thing when I watched, when I watched Seattle play, as I was breaking the film down, I was saying to myself, I was like, oh my gosh. These two defenses look just like each other. They play the exact same way. Our defense, in my opinion, is far more physical than than their defense. Yes. All right. Is. When you talk about you talk about a defensive front, our defensive front should dominate this game. So, with that said, from an offensive standpoint, um, for me, just don't turn the ball over. Don't 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 turn the ball over. You know, let your defense to give you the field position. This is going to be one of those games where it's going to come down to which team wins defense, which team wins special teams, and which team wins the turnover battle. Like It's just unfortunate for us. It's been that way every game because we are a team that for an entire season, we've only had two units show up to play football. 
and that's our defense and our special teams. And if you look at the games that we that we've lost, we know that the offense just is showing up, but we also look at the stat line and we see that our defense had a breakdown somewhere or our special teams had a breakdown somewhere. So you're fighting for your playoff life. If if I'm LaFleur, listen, we got Mike White in here. You and I talked about this on the last show. I don't think that Zach Wilson was just playing for his job. Like, LaFleur, you got to prove to me, as far as I'm concerned, you got to show that in these last two weeks that you should be back as the offensive coordinator. Because right now, this has been a waste of an excellent defense. This has been a waste of a great second year for Coach Sog. This has been a waste of a year almost for the New York Jets. Because, listen, we can't look and say, hey, we're doing well this year. The future looks bright. Everybody knows who we are now from a defensive standpoint. You know, we're losing with nine times out of 10, we're losing Mosley. So we don't know what's going to come there to replace him. We don't know what the future holds for some of these guys. So as far as I'm concerned, the year's not over. But we got to go out there and we've got to put up points. This team gives up 25.3 points per game. We have to go out there and score points against the team. And look, we're not playing against a world beater quarterback. No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're not playing against a guy that we need to sit down and worry about him just, just lighting us up. But what we are playing against is, is against a team that has a head coach that's a vet, that has a veteran that's been there before in Tyler Lockett, you know, that has a reputation. And when you talk about playing in Seattle, I'm telling you right now, the two hardest places for me to play in my time in the National Football League was number two in Kansas City and number one in Seattle. You don't know what the weather is going to be like this time of year. You know that the stadium is going to be packed. The stadium is going to be loud, and that defense is going to show up. So offense, we we, we got to show up. LaFleur, you, you got to show up. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. These last two games, like you said, this is do you deserve to come back? For all the adversity this just offense has had, and it has been unfortunate, we are not going to downplay that. Losing your best offensive lineman in Elijah Barrett Tucker, losing arguably your best skill player, period, in Brees Hall, losing your starting tackle in Mekhi Becton before the season starts. You've had problems, and that is not to be taken away from. But at the end of the day, and this is something that Coach Sala himself goes back to, which is why I'm going to echo it, you show who you really are during times of adversity. And when things are at their toughest, that's when your true character gets revealed. Now's your time, Michael Floor. It's your time as your as the offensive coordinator when things are going wrong to be the voice that leads them out and finds a way to make it work anyway. That's your job. So you have these next two weeks to do it. Before we get into the defense and what they can do against the Seahawks offense, we got to talk about the injuries. We're, I'm waiting on the injury report for today, uh, Thursday, for the final report of the week. Seattle being obviously Pacific Coast means they're a little farther behind as well, but it doesn't seem like the Jets have had their report come out either. Either way, the Seahawks are banged up like crazy right now, and there is an opportunity that a lot of key players could be missing specifically on their offense that could make things a lot more difficult for them. I'm going to go down the line. For the record, all of these players did not practice on Wednesday. Have not heard about Thursday yet, but as of Wednesday, the most recent information, all of these players on the Seahawks did not practice. Linebacker Nick Ballore, tight end Noah Fant, wide receiver Marquise Goodwin, running back Travis Homer, wide receiver Tyler Lockett, starting offensive tackle Abraham Lucas, safety Ryan Neal, running back Kenneth Walker, and running back DJ Dallas. 
all did not practice for the Seahawks on Wednesday. That is their top three running backs. That is their number two receiver in Tyler Lockett. Their starting tight end, Will Disley, went on IR last week. He is no longer out. Their second tight end, Noah Fant, didn't play. Their starting right tackle uh, and a rookie in Abraham Lucas, who's been pretty solid, didn't practice with an injury as well. Is it likely that all of those guys are going to end up missing the game? No, but there's a lot of key names there. Specifically, if Lockett, Walker, and Lucas miss this game for the Seattle Seahawks, that is a major, major blow to quite literally every part of their offense besides the quarterback position, losing a skill talented receiver and offensive lineman and your best running back by a wide, wide margin. <clears throat> And this is the point for me. I don't think there's any injury bigger, quite honestly. Tyler Lockett is a great player. I don't want to take away his impact and say that him playing would not be a huge deal. But for this team, for the Seattle Seahawks, for Pete Carroll and how he wants his team to operate, he wants to have a physical running attack in every single game that they play. And if Kenneth Walker is not playing, that is gigantic for the Jets defense. One of the issues the Jets defense has had in these last couple of weeks, Lamont, that we've highlighted has been tackling has been mm. pursuit to the ball, and has been wrapping up. And if you want to talk about a guy that's already a nightmare to tackle, there might not be anybody, you know, there's few guys in the league I would take before Kenneth Walker. If you go back when the spring when we were talking about running backs, I had him as the top running back in the draft over Brees Hall for this mm -hmm. very reason, mm -hmm. for his ability to break tackles, for his ability to make people miss in space and, and create positive yards and make more than what's blocked for him. The Jets defense, if Walker misses this game and the other two guys behind him and DJ Dallas and Travis Homer miss this game. That means the Seahawks starting running back is going to be a practice squad player, a practice squad call up. I would try and pronounce his name, but there's no way I'm going to get it right. So I'm not even going to try. If anyone wants to look it up and go try themselves, have fun with it. You enjoy. They're going to have a practice squad running back. They're going to be down their top two tight ends. They could be down there up starting right tackle. That is a lot to put on Geno Smith and DK Metcalf in a game when you're the Jets defense, as we'll get into the defense specifically, like we talked about Lamont, these are very similar teams, very similar defenses. The Jets strengthen their defenses in the secondary sauce Gardner and DJ Reed on the outside have been the best parts of their defense consistently besides Quinn and Williams all season. And if you are in a situation where if you're the Jets, you can feel a little more comfortable sticking in your base coverages, not sending run blitzes, not trying to completely and totally sell out and stack the box and can get a little more creative on the back end because you're not as worried about the running attack, that's going to be huge to slowing down this offense. That is going to mm -hmm. be a major, major advantage. The Jets' run defense has been very solid this year overall. They've had some struggles with tackling in recent weeks. I think ETN, who's an, uh, a really, really good player, gave them some trouble in uh, the last week against Jacksonville where they were force feeding him the ball and the Jags line was moving them off the line of scrimmage. But if you are the Jets defense, you should feel confident in your ability to stop the run without having to load the box to do it. And that should allow you to get a little more creative on the back end, especially if some of these players miss time. Now, even if Kenneth Walker is healthy enough to play, he's dealing with an ankle injury. That's a pretty ser serious problem for a running back. This isn't like, I'm dealing with an arm or I'm dealing with a thumb and it may not affect their ability to actually play, whether they play in the game or not, it's not going to affect their talent and ankles, a different story. So yeah. even if you get an injured Kenneth Walker, that's still going to go a long way to helping out this defense. I think quite honestly, on paper, 
and it's hard without the Thursday injury report. When the game actually happens on Sunday, we'll have more information for sure on who's actually going to be playing. But the Jets defense has a massive advantage on paper right now, in my opinion. I just think pure talent wise, there's too much talent on the Jets defense overall. And the talent that is there on the Seahawks offense might not be there. That's huge. Yeah, I, I will say this. One area I got to disagree with you on is I think that when it comes to our defense, our D-line is stronger than our secondary. I think our secondary benefits significantly from the defensive line that we have. And the fact that a lot of these plays where our DBs are beat, quarterbacks are underthrowing the ball simply because they can't step into their throws. Um, their injury report would it, it would carry more weight with me if we had an offense that was supportive. Because as far as I'm concerned, if Tyler Lockett doesn't play, you got you you have Laquan Treadwell. He's not a guy who's a rookie. He's played in the National Football League before, and he's also probably playing for his future. Also. I don't know what his contract situation is, but you talking about if Tyler Lockett is out, he gets a chance to come in opposite DJ Metcalf, which means you know one thing for certain, whoever's opposite DJ Metcalf, you're going to have to get single coverage. Um, so, so what they're missing offensively wouldn't matter to me if, like I said, if our offense could do anything to support, but because our offense doesn't do anything to support it, it's like, hey, if you're put this way, if you're Seattle, we're saying, hey, offense, we just need y'all to score 13 points. If I'm on the defensive side of the ball and we have all these injuries, hey, fellas, all we need is 13 points this week. That's all we need. We're going to get after the quarterback. All right. If they run the same offense they've been running, we're going to shut that down because they're not better than the Kansas City Chiefs. And you saw what we were able to do to them. When Kansas City tried to do that sideways stuff, Seattle was right there. Seattle, like Seattle was right there. And so these injuries, and you talk about having a veteran like Pete Curl who's been in this situation before, I'm, I'm pretty sure these backups are going to be prepared to play. Everybody knows what they're playing for right now. And so um, from an offensive standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, as we transition to the defensive side of the ball, um, for me, I'm going to go back to something that you said. We should be able, we don't need to bring five and six people. This is a game where our front four should be able to put enough pressure on Gino, and Gino has proven time and time again he's going to give you a chance to get an interception. So for me, my first point from a defensive standpoint is D-line, go out there and, and pad your stats. Go pad your stats. Because I say pad your stats. If they're without Walker and they're without their second string, and they have to go to their third string or a scout team back, that means from an offensive standpoint, pass protection-wise, they're going to be very vanilla. And if and if you see a situation where you see us load the box and we have a single high safety, that is the thing that I'm worried about the most. I think that this is a game that if we leave Sauce on the island with DJ Metcalf, I think that he's going to get annihilated. I think both of our corners, if they're lined up with DJ Metcalf, they are going to get annihilated. Metcalf is going to go up over top of, um, is it Reed out there? Yep. He's going to. He's, yeah. he's way I'm too big. You know, he's way I'm too telling big you, you know, right now, if we press, if you see anything, that safety's not over there, we're going to take that. To me, that's a 60-40 ball. That's not a 50-50. That's a 60-40. Metcalf, bully him. 
Gino, put the ball up, let him go over top, make a catch. If it's sauce, we can run slants, we can run bang eights, we could do whatever we want against sauce because sauce is not going to be able to run with DJ Metcalf. And, and I think that DJ Metcalf is one of big boys sauce out there. So for me, it comes down to our defensive line forcing Geno to get rid of that ball a lot sooner than he wants to get rid of it. Don't allow these wide receivers to get into the to the development of their routes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And this is actually going to be my uh, a point on defense that I kind of think we might differ a little bit, but I'm curious to I'm curious to hear what you think, and I'm eager to give my explanation for why. When, if and when, let's say this, if and when you can get the Seahawks in third and longs. I don't think it's the worst idea to dial up a blitz every now and again. For the reasoning that Geno Smith in particular is statistically a lot worse against blitzes than he is against not blitzes. And his passer rating and overall numbers, interception numbers, yards per attempt, everything drops when he gets blitzed. And he's been one of the most blitzed quarterbacks in the league for the past eight, 10 weeks or so after his team started figuring him out. He had a hot start to the year, was playing really, really well. Some of the best in the league at quarterback, quite honestly, over the first couple of the weeks of the season, teams started to realize that he doesn't like it when he gets pressured and that when he has, even if it's not a ton of time, like you're saying, collapsing the pocket and taking away that space, he doesn't need a lot of room in the pocket. And he's willing to stand in the pocket quite literally as long as he has to, almost to a detriment at times where he really isn't ever looking to run and make the big play unless he really has to. He will stand flat-footed in the pocket while guys are collapsing around him and look to make throws because he's a bigger, taller guy. He can see over the line. He's got a release that's more over the top to start with, and he can do that kind of thing. So when you speed him up and you take away that time, the longer you give him to sit back in that pocket and let guys collapse around him and find lanes to throw, even if he doesn't necessarily always have room to step into it, I think that's playing into his strength. And so when you know you're going to get a longer developing pass play, when you know that they're going to be looking to take a shot downfield, when it's a third and long situation and you know you have to cover, you're right. I worry about DK Metcalf on our corners on the outside. I worry about DJ Reed just being a smaller guy getting bodied up and not being able to contest the ball in the air. I worry about Sauce if he's playing nine yards off that little – bang slant like you're talking about that's going to be open over the middle and he's going to have to drag DK Metcalf from behind and bring him down that's not easy I worry about that kind of stuff so I don't want to give Gino any time to throw in those situations I want to take I want to limit the amount of time that he has as much as possible so in those situations the idea I have in my head defensively is that you don't try and go all out and you're not running cover zero or anything like that but the Jets have run some overloads. They've run some fronts where they've had three defensive linemen all to the right of the center, and they'll have one guy in a wide nine to the other end, and they'll run some stunts or send some extra blitzers from other areas. They'll run some double mug stuff with their linebackers, with Mosley and uh, Quincy Williams, where they'll be lined up in the A-gaps, and they'll send one or the two of them and a pressure from there. That sort of stuff is more what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for just outright man coverage, cover zero, send everything, and you know play Wink Martindale. But if you want to send a slot, I think you that might be an opportunity. If you're worried about Michael Carter's ability and coverage on Tyler Lockett, as Carter's been maybe one of the weaker links in the secondary the past few weeks, well, maybe on this third and long, you blitz it. And you see if he can get home. 
I really think that there can be an opportunity there. Last but not least, speaking about these corners, specifically covering Metcalf to the outside. I think you have to play catch technique. And I don't know if the Jets are going to do this, which is what worries me. Because when we spoke um, just recently, a few weeks ago, when we did the show with uh, Believe in Lions, we spoke with Glover Quinn, former student of Tony Oden, the Jets DB coach himself. He made it very simple that T.O. likes to keep things very simple in the secondary. He doesn't like to do a bunch of mixing and matching. He wants guys to know where their responsibilities are, know their roles. They're not going to try and go too out of the way. So it might not be something they do where they're going to change up the technique. And for those that don't understand what catch technique is, there's various techniques when you're a corner, basically all dependent on the depth you are from the receiver. So when you're in press, you're right up on the wide receiver. You're at the line of scrimmage. You're not giving any space whatsoever. When you're in off coverage, you're usually seven or eight yards, if not a little further off, giving a cushion between yourself and the wide receiver. Catch technique is the in-between. I want our corners planted at five-yard depths and say, okay, DK Metcalf, I'm not letting you get the opportunity to swap my hands at the line and press and go right at the sideline and I'll never recover. And I'm not giving you the eight yards of cushion to run the bang in slant and body me out and have no way for me to come in and break up the ball. We're posted at five yards, run through us. Run through us. We'll give you the line. We'll give you the the release off the line. You can get your first step because we know if you're going deep and that's what we're going to do. But we're going to sit with inside leverage We're going to sit at five-yard depths. We're going to wait for you to come up to us. We're going to close the ground. We're going to get our hands on you, and we're going to ride you out down the field. That, I think, is the best chance. On top of that, if you do that with some extra blitzes, that's going to be better, more beneficial because those routes aren't going to be as open. When you're playing a good catch technique as a wide receiver, it disrupts your timing. It, it, It makes it harder for you to get down the field and get into your route. If the timing is disrupted, if things are taking longer to develop and Gino's looking for Metcalf in those situations because he might be the only guy on the field he trusts, I want that route to take as long as possible. I want there to be less time for to throw for Gino Smith waiting for that route to develop. So I think that is your third down answer every now and again. It's not in every play. It's not the absolute game plan. It's not every time you get third and seven plus we're blitzing, but every now and again, you can't just play your base coverages and you can't just let Gino sit in the pocket all day and wait for someone to come open over the middle because he's going to be able to make the throw even if his feet are completely flat-footed and you're going to give up a third down conversion. That can't happen against this offense. That can't happen. Your, our offense, like we're talking about, Lamont, we're worried about this offense overall. If As messed up as it is to say, then they're going to need as many chances as they can get, right? Yeah. Then you can't be having the Seahawks giving nine-minute drives taking away half a quarter and going and ending in a touchdown because they're just able to constantly convert on third and long. You have yep. to get off the field on third and long, take away the time Geno Smith has to throw, get in his face, send some extra pressure, play catch technique outside with your corners and make DK Metcalf run through them. I think you can have a good day defensively. Yeah, I mean, I like that plan, especially on third and long situations, not allow him to do it. But I think that we can get enough pressure with our front four that we can use our linebackers and we can use different coverages to take away those routes. I think that we, I think that our, I have confidence that our defensive line can apply enough pressure that if we play zone behind it, that Gino would throw a couple of picks, especially like you said, he's willing to stay in the pocket, which means he'll stare a receiver down. 
and he'll try to put it in there, which means he misses the guy, the, the zone player that's coming yes. across the intercept ball. And so that's why I'm putting the onus on our defensive line, because the more people that you bring, once you bring more than four people at the quarterback, you've just opened up, you, you've opened a wider window. So if I'm throwing a slant, if you bring a linebacker, you just gave me a bigger window. Whereas if you just bring your front four, now those windows are tighter. If you can get the quarterback to hold on to the ball a little, little bit longer, that's how you're able to get sacks. That's how you're able to get the quarterback to pump, hesitate, and then get to a late read. And that's where interceptions take place. I'm just worried about us bringing pressure for that simple fact that it's going to open up a zone. And, and I would rather have our guy. I would rather I would take my chances with saying, okay, we're going to make sure that if they throw the ball, that they're throwing 50-50 balls, meaning they're taking a chance deep down the field. We they're, they're, We're forcing them to throw the ball over our heads in order to go up and make a great play. Outside of that, I think that our defensive line is good enough that we could play zone. We could play man on one side, zone. On, like if we want to bracket, title lock it, you know, we can go ahead and do that. Things like that, I think, will confuse Jano and our defensive yeah. line will get enough pressure on them. It just starts with not allowing them to 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 run the ball. And this is why, and I'm, 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 I hate to go back to the offense. This is why the offense is critical. If you want to beat Seattle, force them to throw the ball. Don't allow them to run the ball, set up their play action fake, force you to put eight men in the box because now that's where you get man-to-man coverage with yep. Tyler Lockett and D.T. Metcalf. You don't want yep. that. But if your offense isn't scoring points, what you're going to do is you're going to continue to allow Seattle. Let's let's say let's say that Seattle has, has all of these guys out, right? At the end of the day, they still have their quarterback who's been starting all season long. They still have a couple of offensive linemen who've been starting off season long. And you still have DJ Metcalf, although his numbers don't show it this year. He is still a very, very, very dangerous wide receiver. He's a thousand yard receiver. Yes. And he's he's probably better than those numbers would even suggest. And he's still a thousand yard receiver. Yes. So when you take all of those things into consideration, we don't have an offense that can, we haven't, we don't have an offense that has proven that they can force you to get out of what you do. So with that said, the more times you bring pressure, it's going to become a tendency. You're going to give that offensive coordinator enough time to figure out what that tendency is and then draw up the right scheme to get that one touchdown that you may need to win the game. So that's why I want to I want to avoid blitzing as much as possible because I think we can get it done without down four. And without down four getting pressure, I think that that's what's going to generate the turnovers that we need. That's what's going to allow us to shift field position. And, hey, if LaFleur comes out there and he calls a great game, I mean, this could be a game like the Chicago game. Like If we're able to establish our run game, this could be a game like the Chicago game. But defensively, I worry. I'm always going to get concerned if I see a single safety in the middle of the field and I see Sauce. Even if he plays catch technique against DJ Metcalf, his catch technique isn't going to stop DJ Metcalf. It's, it's not going to stop him. He's he's too light. His catch technique is going to get him. It, it, it's, it's too much that you can do. If you're going to play a catch technique with Sauce against DJ Metcalf, I really think that you have to have a safety over the top because now you 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 leave yourself susceptible to double moves. And like you said, Gino will sit in the pocket. So he can catch the shotgun snap, have pressure coming around him, hit a quick pump, get Sauce to bite on it because one thing Sauce will do is bite on those slants. 
And now, now you've gone over the top and now as a defensive coordinator, now you're worrying about playing these different coverages. I just don't want to give them, I don't want to give them any life. And I, and although Gino does not do well against blitzing teams. All right. If you're a team where you don't have to blitz, don't do it just because you've seen other teams be successful, especially if you know that they have a monster out there wide receiver. That is a matchup problem for everybody in your secondary. There's nobody in our secondary that if they're lined up one on one with DJ Metcalf and Gino just drops back with no safety help and puts the ball up, there's nobody that's going to be able to stop DJ Metcalf. We can only hope that Gino misses the throw. So with that said, I mean, for defense, for me, I don't have a lot for defense. Just do what you do and just hope that the offense shows up. Yeah, you really are going to need help from the offense. This is not going to be a game where the defense is going to be able to win it by themselves. It's just it's just not. It's going to be too tough, too tough of an environment. You don't know what the weather is going to be like, like you said. You know, that's, that's just not how these teams are going to operate. You're going to have to win as a team. This is going to need to be a team win. This cannot be a, a defense carries you. It's not going to work out for this, this contest. One point I want to make defensively, maybe to kind of de- defend my idea a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like I said, it's not an every down situation. It's not something that you're looking to make, you know, your bread and butter or be something really that you're not. But I think it could be a good check, especially when you get in situations where the Seahawks go three by one and they leave Metcalf isolated on one side. Because they use that when he's that isolated X, that's when they normally like to find those matchups for him. And so if it's going to be we're going to play leverage and that's going to be the back shoulder ball, that's when the slant's going to come in. You know, that's when they're looking to find isolated matchups for him. So if this is really going to depend on whether Tyler Lockett plays quite honestly, because this is going to make a big, a big wrench in this plan if he's playing, but if he's not playing, I think you have DK as the isolated X. Cool. Whoever's on him, whether it's sauce, DJ Reed, that's fine. We'll leave the safety over top. We'll bracket DK as the single receiver and we'll make one of these guys on the other side and the three by one beat us the other on the other side. So you would mention combo coverage where you have a man sort of bracket on one side and then you have sort of zone to the other. I think that could be a good three by one answer where you have safety over top, give it safety to the shade. But even if it's a single high, but you have the safety starting shaded over to that side and you have man on DK Metcalf with whoever it is, you play zone to the other side. Then if you are worried about that slant going over the middle, you're going to have zone defenders in the passing lanes. You're not going to be just man coverage where they can be moved out of the way. They're going to be in the middle of the field. You're going to have guys like a Mosley or someone. I think this is going to be, whether it's a blitz or whether it's a line stunt, do something on third and long to influence the ability to get pressure. I agree yeah. that the front four has to win. They, they do. There's going to have to be times where that's what that's what they do when they went up front and that's how they th- survive but I also think you got to find ways to help them do that too. And so if it's call some line stunts, if it's send in, if you have the dropping linebacker, maybe one of them rushes, the other one drops out. Or like you're talking about with the running backs and pass protection, if you know you got a practice squad running back and pass protection, and you know that he's going to have to be coming up the A-gap to meet a linebacker, we'll see if he can. Like, let's Mm -hmm. test this guy in protection. Let's take advantage of the weak links. I'm just really worried for this game overall when I'm looking at what how do the jets lose this game 
they lose it offensively by not being able to get ahead of the chains and score points and and not being able to take advantage of a defense that outside of their quarterback group can't cover the pass. And so you have to be able to find to your running backs. They lose by not being able to tackle Kenneth Walker if he's playing and healthy. They lose by not being able to tackle or cover DK Metcalf if he's got, you know, just burning everything that we try. If you got Lockett on the other side, that's going to make it even harder because you can't bracket coverages easily. And you lose by letting Geno stand in the pocket and pick you apart downfield. Mm -hmm. That is the only way right now with the uncertainty of the Seahawks injuries that is consistent in my eyes. What is what is the only thing I can bank on being the thing the Jets lose that loses the Jets this game? It's not pressuring Gino, letting him stand in the pocket, even if you're dropping seven into coverage, waiting to find someone that's going to come open and letting him exploit it. That's my biggest worry. So I think you got to find ways, especially on money downs on third down, to get off the mm-hmm. field and work from there. I think we got things pretty wrapped up. I'm going to ready to get into bets. If you are, we can go ahead and jump right in with that. Get our bets of the week in as always. Thank you, Bet Online, for sponsoring. Uh, I'll lead things off real quick. I don't have anything too complicated, but I do have a little bit of a parlay as I've gotten accustomed to doing. You've kind of opened my eyes to that avenue. Uh, first and foremost, I think looking at this game, the over-under currently is set at 42 and a half. I think mm-hmm. this is going to be an under. I think you have a Seahawks offense that's missing potentially a lot of their talent. You have a Jets offense that's been sputtering. Yes, they are getting Mike White back, but we're still not that confident in the offensive line. The running game really hasn't been there whatsoever the past couple of weeks. Is Mike White going to be enough to turn this into an offensive explosion? Maybe, but I don't know if it's going to be enough. And I also think if you're the Jets, that once the Jets get out to a lead, if and when they get out to a lead, they're going to want to look to lean on that run game, look to slow things down because they don't want to risk Mike White getting hurt, dropping back to throw. So if they don't have to have Mike White throw 40 times, I don't think they're going to want to. I think it's going to be the under. That's at a minus 110 for right now. I'm parlaying that with a margin of victory score. Right now, the Jets are currently favored by one point. The outright point spread, minus one Jets. I believe it was 110 either way, plus one, minus one Seahawks Jets. Margin of victory, Jets one to six, is at a plus 300. Mm. I don't think the Jets win this game by two scores. Mm-mm. I just don't know if their offense is talented enough to do that. It, and, if, and if they are, then Mike White's playing great. And hopefully the Jets can keep him healthy because they might really have something at quarterback. I don't think this is going to be a blowout if the Jets win. I think this is going to be a close game through most of the contest. And it might be a situation where the Jets win by five points, but watching the game, they were clearly the better team. And mm-hmm. it outplays more than the score might indicate. Jets one through six is at a plus 300. So I'm thinking this game overall, I don't have really any players in particular that I'm expecting to have a huge impact. I know it's going to be tough for Garrett Wilson going against Wuhan. It's going to be tough if they bracket coverage his way. Offensive line pass protecting is tough. I'm not 100% confident enough to say, yes, this is the game. The running backs are going to come alive and Bam Knight's going to go over 100 and put that down as a prop. I'm trying to play it a little safe. But I do think the Jets can win this game. I think they are the more talented team overall. I think the Seahawks are reeling with injuries that hopefully it seems like there's going to be a lot of key players missing. You have a team in Seattle that's skidding just like the Jets. They've lost three in a row. They've lost five of their last six. They're not playing perfect quality football either. And they've only scored two touchdowns total in the last two games. Both of them came in garbage time. So I'm thinking this is going to be a lower scoring game. It's in Seattle. Give me the under. Give me Jets by one to six. 
if this is a game where the Jets win by seven points and a touchdown, I'm going to be really upset <laughs> because because it could be the exact same game and they win by one point and it's that different in the extra point that makes it a bit of a difference. But I think it might be like a 24-20 or a 20-17. to And I could see that being a situation where it's going to come down and it's going to be close, but give me the under and give me Jets between one and six. That's where I'm sticking. Mm. Okay. Ah, man. You know, when we got on, when we first got on, I had a bet. Um, My initial bet was going to be any defensive or special teams touchdown. That was at a plus, uh, what was it, plus two something? Uh, I believe it was plus 215, but I will confirm that. Yeah, well, I'm gonna get away from it. I'm gonna get away from it. I'm I'm going to I'm going to Drew's school of school of <laughs> betting. We're gonna try to win and we're gonna try to win big. I was going with that defensive touchdown because I really felt that this was that was gonna be the way that the team I, I felt that one of these teams is gonna score a defensive touchdown. And that's where the game is gonna be won. With that said, I'm gonna take a chance on this bet. All right, I am going to take a chance on this bet. Total points in the game, zero to 20 at a plus 1,400. Wow. I think this is a game where both defenses force just field position. I think this is going to be – I think that this is going to turn out, and this is me – this is how I see this game. One of two things is going to happen. One of these teams is going to get blown out. If our offense shows up, we're going to blow Seattle out. All right. If 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 Seattle is healthy and they're able to get their run game going, then they're going to blow us out. I think that they'll put up enough points to make things really tough for us because their run game is going to give them field position. Field position is going to give them a multitude of field goals and possible touchdowns. They get into the red zone. Don't be surprised you see them at the 23rd yard line. Don't be surprised you see them taking shots to DJ Metcalf just to go up over some top of somebody to make a play. With that said, there's nothing that I love about any of these offenses, especially when you talk about the injuries that 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 um that Seattle has. When you look at the fact that even with, with Mike White, we aren't scoring any points. We still have our troubles from an offensive standpoint. Um, you think about the fact that 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 Pete Carroll is coaching against one of his former coaches. I would think that this there's a good chance that this could be one of those games that ends six, you know, six to nine, you know, 10, three, yeah. you know, seven. I can easily see it being one of those games. So with me not really feeling comfortable with any bet from this game, I'm going to take a shot at the, I'm going to take a shot at the end zone. I'm going to go with the total points in this game will be, 20 or less at a plus 1400. That's a big bet. That's definitely a big bet. That definitely comes from my school of find the craziest thing that just <laughs> might happen, throw 10 bucks on it and pray, pray to the football <laughs> gods. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I like it. It's going to be an interesting point. This is the only kind of thing I'm thinking about Lamont. I think if that happens, the jets lose. Yes. And, and I think that's a possibility. I don't think this is a gimme game as we've laid out that there is things that the Jets have an advantage of overall, but this is not going to be a game where we, either of us think they're just going to walk into Seattle and steamroll them. No, I think if this is a game where it's under 20 points total, I think that means the Jets lost. 
I think that I means know. that their offense didn't it, it or the Jets defense, the Seahawks had no skill talent or Walker and Tyler Lockett and Abraham Lucas all missed the game. And DK Metcalf is the only thing they have. And the Jets defense plays lights out and the Jets offense sucks, but not so bad that they don't get nothing. But I also could see that being a situation where it's 10 to three and the Seahawks get a sack fumble as a defensive touchdown that gives them their <laughs> touchdown. Or I go back to the, the Patriots game that got Zach Wilson benched where it's three to three, the entire game. And it ends 10 to three on a last second punt return. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it may not be the Seahawks offense that does something, but if it's that low scoring, it means the Jets offense didn't do what they needed to do. I would say this, you know, initially when you made the point, you know, I shook my head. Yeah, that means that the Jets lost, but I don't think so. I think that that gives the Jets a better chance to win it. Because if it's one thing that's been proven with Mike White at the quarterback is our ability to move the ball. We just don't score points when we get into the red zone. So if our defense, if this becomes a low, low, low scoring game where both defenses battled it out, listen, I love our field goal kicker. You know, yeah. Myers, I believe Myers is still a kicker in Seattle. Yeah. You know, they have, a solid, Seattle. they have, yeah, they have a solid field goal kicker too. Um, and then you also, let's talk about, you know, when we first started the show, when you talked about what we needed to do offensively, we need to run the ball. What does Seattle like to do offensively? They want to get the run game going. If That's you true. have teams that are running the ball, that means the clock is going. As long as that clock is going and we got a bunch of punts going, now we're looking at the possibility of a low scoring game. If it's a low scoring game, now it becomes a game of defense and special teams. And then from there, if we're moving the ball and we're in field goal range, if you look up and you see that we that that we had five field goals in this game, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. If we had three or four field goals, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. So I would have to disagree that a low-scoring game, I don't think that a low-scoring game means that the Jets lost. I think that a low-scoring game increases our chances of winning because that means that we kept them out of the end zones ourselves. You know, you kind of convinced me a little bit. Uh, I'm going to be honest. You kind of changed my thought because now I'm sitting here and I'm thinking the lower scoring, that means the fewer points the Jets offense has to score to get a lead. And so if the offense is struggling, that maybe the one touchdown is all it takes and that gives them enough of a point to win by three, win by four. So maybe it isn't so bad. I I definitely kind of changed my opinion there. I think that does it for this week. Appreciate everybody for tuning in and stopping by. I think we got a good game plan here. This is going to be a really fun game to watch. You got two coaches that know each other very well, that are very close. You expect to be a tough matchup. Two very similarly built teams. You know, Jets going to have Mike White coming back. There's going to be all the fun wrapped around that. Hopefully we can get some explosive offense. Hopefully the defense can find a way to slow down DK Metcalf. And the Jets will be positioning themselves for a winning in situation in Miami in week 18. Cannot wait for that. Thank you guys one more time for stopping by. Make sure you're following the show at B-L-E-A-V underscore in underscore Jets. You can also follow me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. And thank you to Bet Online for sponsoring Mott Parting Shots before we get out of here. Y'all can catch me on Twitter at Coach Jordan 34. I'm on Instagram at Lamont Jordan underscore 34. And those of you all who are listening, my Terps are playing NC State. Let's go, Terps. Terps. Ty Johnson. Let's go, Ty. Hopefully we can see Lamont's Terps pull out a fun win in bowl season. I cannot wait to get started with the draft in just a few couple of weeks. College football playoff a few days away. Very excited for that. Make sure you guys are tuned in. As the season comes to a close, whenever and whenever that is going to happen, we will be right there to cover it all. Appreciate everybody for stopping by, and we'll be back real soon. Bye-bye.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.